0: Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Well, it's Friday, May 3rd, 2019, and of course, you know that means that it's time for another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast, Parareality Radio. But, before I begin tonight's show, I want to take a minute and talk about the latest news of the strange that I posted on YouTube last week. Now, just in case you've been living under a rock for about the last month or so, you've probably heard by now that famed uh, paranormal investigator Lorraine Warren died last month, on April the 18th, I believe was the, the exact date. And last week, I posted a video on my YouTube channel, talking about her death along with her and uh, her husband Ed's approach to the paranormal investigating field. I'm not going to get into what was said on the video, but I've taken a little heat from some people who think that I was, I don't know, uh, bashing the legacy of Ed and Lorraine Warren after their deaths. And I want to make it clear that I was not doing that. I was merely pointing out that, in my opinion, the Warrens' method of investigation was not a scientific one and that they seemed to go into each investigation with a predetermined outcome as to what was going on. Now, this makes their investigative approach flawed, but it doesn't diminish their importance to the paranormal investigation field. Instead of great paranormal investigators, maybe they should be remembered more as people who inspired others to get into the field of paranormal research. Now, I might not agree with their investigative methods, but that's okay. We're all entitled to have different opinions, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Now that I've gotten that out of the way... Let's get on with the show. You know, it seems that every state here in the United States has an unusual part of its history. It seems that even though the U.S. is young by comparison to the, west of the rest of the world, there are plenty of paranormal stories to go around. Just because the United States wasn't officially discovered, he says with air quotes, until uh, 1492, which even that's and debate. Uh, Let's not forget that the continent was around for centuries, and it's really just as old as everywhere else is on Earth. That means that it's had plenty of time to become the home of some very unusual and scary creatures. Many of them are located right here in the good old South. A few years ago, I did an episode of the show focusing on some little-known cryptids of the southern United States, and it was a pretty popular episode. That's why tonight I've decided to dive a little deeper into that topic. But this time I'm focusing on the state that I've had the pleasure to call home for the last 16 years or so, Tennessee. So, with that being said, let's get into talking about the cryptids of Tennessee. The southeastern state of Tennessee is the birthplace to There's My Creepy Clock. I can't do this show without having a creepy clock. (laughs) The Southeastern State of Tennessee is the birthplace of bluegrass music, Mountain Dew, my personal favorite, miniature golf, who knew, the tow truck, and Jack Daniel's whiskey. It's tied with Missouri as the state that borders the most other states at 8. It's also the 36th largest state, but we have the 16th most population in the entire United States, which is growing by the minute. Famous Tennesseans include singers like Johnny Cash, Aretha Franklin, and Tina Turner. Um, Actors, Morgan Freeman, director Quentin Tarantino, and even former Vice President Al Gore are all some celebrities that have come from the state of Tennessee. Uh, Even Oprah Winfrey and pro wrestling legend Rick Flair have called Tennessee home. Oak Ridge, Tennessee was established in the 1940s as part of the Manhattan Project that produced the first atomic bomb. This 440 mile long state features forests, plains, lakes, rivers, and mountains and is the perfect home for cryptid creatures of all kinds. So tonight, we're going to be talking about five of these cryptid creatures, and I'm going to start off with the Tennessee wild man. In the late 1800s, residents of McNary County, Tennessee, encountered a creature that wasn't quite a man, but not quite a Bigfoot either. The beast was reportedly seven feet tall with either dark gray or dark red hair, blazing red eyes, and its hair and beard hung down to its waist. The creature's scream, witnesses said, could freeze a man's blood. Amazingly strong and fast, the wild man of Tennessee often targeted women with its threats, although none of the attacks were considered to be successful. And according to the May 5, uh, 1871 edition of the Hagerstown Mail, the um, None of the attempts on anyone, whether it was to harm them or kidnap them or whatever, was ever successful at all. The wild man was also known to silently approach houses, but if anybody saw it, it took off running and effortlessly leaped things like you know tall fences before it disappeared into nearby trees. Now here is the article that I found from uh, the Hagerstown Mail newspaper and I'm going to read it exactly as it was written. Friday, May 5th, 1871, the Jackson, Tennessee Whig newspaper of the 13th instant says, We learn that between Sabi and Cranesville, on what is called Piney in McNary County, Tennessee, a strange and frightful being has been observed for several weeks. He is said to be seven feet high, and possessed of great muscular power. His eyes are unusually large and fiery red. His hair hangs in a tangle and matted mass below his waist, and his beard reaches below his middle. His entire body is covered with hair, and his whole aspect is most frightful. He shuns the sight of them, but approaches with wild and horrid screams of delight every woman who is unaccompanied by a man." He sometimes, with great caution, approaches houses, and should he see a man, he runs away with astonishing swiftness, leaping the tallest fences with the ease of a deer, defying alike the pursuit of men and dogs. He has frightened several women by attempting to carry them off, as well as by his horrid aspect, and the whole county around Sabi is in consternation. The citizens are now scouring the woods and are determined to either capture or drive off the monster. I love the wording that they used in that consternation and stuff like that. That's great. Uh, so although the wild man reports have continued over the decades, the last recorded sighting was in the 1990s in Carter County on the opposite side of the state from McNary County. And uh, the guy that um, had that last in the encounter in the 90s, Actually went on um, uh, some television show of American Monsters or something like that that was on um, uh, what is it a, a Destination America or Travel Channel or or, or, or something like that and was uh, in giving his account of the the Wild Man of Tennessee. So that's really the the short and long of it as far as the Wild Man of Tennessee goes. Um, he hasn't been seen since the 1990s and the report that was given from the, the nineties by this guy uh, pretty much mirrors what the newspaper accounts from the 1800s described it as. So is the wild man a Sasquatch? Is he related to Sasquatch? Um, that's the first thing that you think about, but um, there's been no, um, obviously there's no pictures um, or any other descriptions of what the wild man looks like. So we don't know. Um, Is he still around? Well, he waited for over a hundred years before, you know, between appearances. So there's a possibility if he even exists at all. Number two I'm going to talk about the Flintville Monster. A creature that more fits the description of a Bigfoot's been cited for years in the Tennessee foothills. According to the Augusta Chronicle, this seven-foot-tall monster smells like a skunk and leaves footprints that are 16 inches long in the ground. One victim told the newspaper the hairy monster screamed like an ape as it chased him through the forest. Unlike the gentle giant that Bigfoot is often described as, this creature is is seen around the town of Flintville and is very aggressive. Uh, There's a local resident named Ned Sinclair who said that the thing is so big it could easily hurt somebody. Now the first encounter with a Flintville monster occurred not too long ago. It was only back in 1976. Uh, What happened was an enormous man-like ape jumped on the hood of a woman's car, breaking the radio antenna. It hooted and sprang off the roof before it leaped off and dashed into the woods. The attacks continued into the 1980s when the beast chased a woman into her house and banged on her door. But a number of attacks involved cars, including the account of a plumber and one of a pastor of a local church who reported different encounters with a Bigfoot-like beast that broke their vehicle antennas and bashed in their windshields. So for whatever reason, this thing doesn't like car antennas. Why? I don't know. Nothing's ever plausible been explained about why this thing doesn't like car antennas, but it seems to delight in breaking them off. The most notable account occurred in 1976 when a mother of a four-year-old saw this tall, hairy creature running across the field toward her son who was playing out in in the yard. Now, of course, she was concerned because she saw this big hairy creature running full speed towards her son, so she bolted out of the house and to to, you know, get her son before the creature could. And she says, this is what she told investigators, it reached out its long hairy arms toward Gary and came within a few inches of him. Of course, she reached her son before the creature did and she grabbed him and bolted back inside the house where she called the police. And shortly after she reported this incident, there were swarms of lawmen and hunters who descended on her property, armed with you know shotguns and rifles, who obviously they resolved to track down and kill this creature. They hunted this thing throughout the night. They combed the woods on the outskirts of town, but they never found anything. However, what they did run across on two separate occasions uh, was the creature screamed at them, and threw rocks at them, which is very, very reminiscent of a Bigfoot type creature. Now the next day, the the posse, for lack of a better word, they found sixteen inch footprints as well as hair, blood, and mucus. The hair was scientifically analyzed, but it couldn't be identified. I wish they had collected some blood and mucus samples so they could have um, identified those. Now, the blood and mucus, number one, uh, I don't have any other um, descriptions of why they say they found blood and mucus or what it looked like, just that it was blood and mucus. I don't know why they think that what they found was mucus. Uh, it could have been uh, scat, like diarrhea, runny type scat. Um, could have been uh, saliva. The creature could have hacked it up, or it could have been, you know, totally from somebody else. Somebody else could have hacked up a, a nice loogie and spat it on the ground. There, you never know. Uh, they should have. I wish they would have taken up this blood and mucus and had it scientifically uh, you know, analyzed. Unfortunately, um, they did not, and no sightings have been reported of this creature since nineteen ninety three. So some people speculate that this Flintville monster, since it is so similar to uh, a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, that this is could possibly be some sort of um, cousin to Sasquatch, or maybe uh, an offshoot of Sasquatch, if you subscribe to the belief that Humans and sasquatches are pretty much the same and we just evolved differently Maybe the evolution of the sasquatch had a branch in that tree as well or a branch on that another branch on that limb of that tree as well you never know um, there are also people who speculate that this creature is um, totally and completely 100% an enemy of the Sasquatch. And there's even been, uh, accounts where people have said that they have seen and, or heard them not, well, maybe not seen, but heard them quote unquote fighting perhaps over territory there in the uh, Flintville area. But, uh, once again, we don't have any pictures of this Flint, Flintville monster. And, uh, we have no other descriptions other than what has already been described. So is this creature, the Flintville monster, is it related to Bigfoot? Is it an enemy of Bigfoot? Does Bigfoot have a another uh, predator out there besides man? That's something that would be interesting to know. Um, I personally would love to go out towards the Flintville area, which is uh, not all that far, and uh, take a look out in the woods and see if I could find the Flintville Monster. But like I said, no sightings have been reported since 1993, so the chances of it being around are pretty slim. Now we move on to number three, the White Screamer. Now this, out of, out of all the creatures that I'm talking about this evening, this one is the one that creeps me out the most. It's called the White Screamer. It's a misty creature that lurks near the small town of White Bluff, Tennessee. Once again, not too far from me. This is a creature of legend in the local area. Now, as the story goes, in the 1920s, a man built a farmhouse for his family of nine. He had a lot of kids, right? He built a farmhouse for his family of nine in a hollow near the town. Every night after the family fell asleep, a wailing shriek would pierce the hollow and it would wake up the entire household. Finally, after weeks of this, the man had had enough of it and he decided he was going to put an end to it. He got up, armed with his shotgun, walked outside to track down this thing that was, you know, tormenting his family's sleep. And it kept screaming and kept screaming. And he was following these screams, and it led him in a circle through the woods all the way back to his house where the screams changed from screams of this banshee-type thing to screams of death. And when he realized what was going on and where the screams were coming from, they were coming from his house... He rushed into the home and found that his wife and seven children had been shredded and torn to bits with body parts all over the house. And he also saw a woman floating in the air in a white mist. It doesn't say what happened to him after this, that's the story in its entirety. So what I am proposing here is that this white screamer is similar, and, and I mentioned it just a minute ago, similar to the Banshee of Irish folklore that, you know, the if you know about the Banshee, it foretells death, and it's been known to follow families. Now, hear me out on this. Why do I think it's a, a Banshee from Irish folklore? Well, Irish is the... Third, one of well, one of the largest ethnic groups in Tennessee. I think it's the third or fourth largest ethnic group in Tennessee. So maybe some banshees made it to the United States from across the pond. You never know. Um, just here in, I live in what's called the Middle Tennessee area, and here in the Middle Tennessee area, there is a uh, very strong Irish population. Um, there are uh, a couple. Of Irish pubs that are very very popular. Uh, there's one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a free plug to this place. If you if you're in the area and haven't been here, it's called McNamara's. It's in the uh, Donaldson area, and it is a wonderful Irish pub. And on the weekends, they have an authentic Irish band that plays, and they have some really great bangers and mash and fish and chips and Scotch eggs. Oh my God, those Scotch eggs are wonderful. So it's it's quite possible that a banshee um, followed um, a family to the United States, and here you have an area of Tennessee where uh, you have a heavy Irish population, and a man of Irish descent takes his large family, puts them in an area down a hollow that where no one else is around and you, you have a perfect storm for something bad to happen. Now, according to the local community, the white screamer can still be heard haunting White Bluff, and the town isn't shy about this strange monster. They've learned to live in tandem with this thing. And it's said that she still haunts that area, and wherever she appears, the grass is burned. Now, I, I know the general area of where this is, but I don't know the exact location. Once again, this would make a great field trip. White Bluff, Tennessee is not all that far from me. Well, I live in, like I said, the middle Tennessee area, and the state's very short as far as north to south. East to west is 447 miles long, so it's not a, a huge state. You can get anywhere in the state from where I'm at within three hours or four hours. So once again, I'm, I'm pretty close to these places. I would love to go out there, not going by myself though, (laughs) not going to do that. All right. So we've talked about three of these monsters, the Tennessee wild man, the Flintville monster, and now the white screamer moving on to number four. We're going to talk about the Tennessee Terror. Now, the Tennessee River is 651.8 miles long, and is supposed to be the home to a 25-foot-long river beast. The legend began all the way back in 1822 when a farmer was fishing in the river and a quote-unquote sea serpent emerged from the surface of the water scaring this guy so badly that not too long after this encounter, he was said to have died from fright. Another fisherman told a similar story in 1827 when he encountered the Tennessee Terror and it almost shook him out of his canoe. The man described the creature as a bluish yellow color and built like a giant snake. Now the legend has continued to grow and morph through the years, and it's turned the Tennessee Terror from a giant sea serpent's bluish-yellow snake thing into a giant catfish called Catzilla that's supposed to be around 500 pounds. Now, there are species of catfish in Spain and Southeast Asia that do grow to that size, which is freaking huge. However, science doesn't know of any species that big to swim in the waters of the Tennessee River, at least not yet. So, this happens to be one of those you know I describe myself as an open minded skeptic, and uh I'm always you know inviting other people to um give what they their opinions of you know do they believe what i'm talking about uh do they have some other um um theory as to what's going on uh like i said i'm a, i'm an open minded skeptic, and just because I'm talking about something does not necessarily mean that i believe everything that I'm talking about, I like to take these mysterious and unknown uh, cases of the paranormal and investigate them. That's what I do. That's what this podcast is all about. It's investigating and researching these things. And sometimes I am shocked because I kind of don't necessarily think that something that I'm, I'm researching is, is true. I, you know, I, I try to keep that open-mindedness about myself, but sometimes I'm like, I don't really know if this is going to really be true or not. And sometimes I'm surprised because I kind of am convinced that it is as just the opposite. Sometimes I go into something thinking 100% for sure that this has got to be the real thing. And then I find out it's not. So this is a perfect example would be uh, a few years ago when I did um, the episode, Did Hitler Survive World War II? And I went into that um, whole research project when I was researching stuff for the show. I went into that whole thing with the mindset that Hitler died In World War II, he shot himself in the head in that bunker in World War II and killed himself. However, there was enough evidence out there and enough question had been raised that I thought it was worthy to take a look into, did he or did he not kill himself? I was pretty convinced that he was. However, by the time I got finished doing my research and and did that episode of of the show I had totally concha- totally changed my mind and, and became convinced that there was a high, high possibility that he did survive. And then uh, about a year later, they have this show that comes on uh, was the history channel. Uh, was it look searching for Hitler or something like that? And where these guys were doing, they were, they were actually, out in the field, visiting some of these same places that I had learned about whenever I was doing my research and presenting the same thing only in t- a television form, which is probably a little bit more entertaining I don't know, but anyway uh, you know i the perfect example of I can't have my mind changed. I try to keep that open minded skeptic mind of mine you know just i uh, keep it open so i i'm i'm I, I don't want to be so close-minded that I can't have my opinion changed. However, this is one of those incidents when we're talking about the Tennessee Terror that I really doubt this thing exists. However, there is a, some evidence that something happened, but it was over 100 years ago, way over 100 years ago, almost 200 years ago, and nothing has really happened since. We just have this Two accounts back in the, the 1820s, and then now it's morphed into, oh, it's a 500-pound catfish. So I, I really doubt that there is a Tennessee Terror 500-pound catfish out in the uh, Tennessee River, but you never know. You have to keep your mind open. And that moves us to the fifth and final cryptid that I wanted to talk about this evening, which is, of course, Bigfoot. You can't talk about cryptids in your state without talking about Bigfoot, it seems. You know, Tennessee is the home to the Smoky Mountains in the Gatlinburg area in eastern Tennessee, and despite the fire In 2016, that destroyed most of the town of Gatlinburg and a large section of the forest. The area still hosts over a million visitors every year. Now, you'd think that a large forested area surrounded by mountains would be the perfect home for a Sasquatch. It makes good sense to me. Well, if you think that, then you'd be right. It does seem that a majority of Bigfoot sightings comes from the eastern part of the state. That's probably because of the heavily forested and mountainous area. Surprisingly enough, however, a lot of sightings come from the heavily populated areas of middle Tennessee and Wilson County. The county that I live in ties the record with Sevier severe County where Gatlinburg is located for the most Sasquatch sightings in the state, a total of six each. And I found that very interesting as I was doing my research for this. Now, there's been reported... Oh, there's my creepy clock again. There's been reported Bigfoot sightings all over the state of Tennessee. However, the eastern part in Sevier County, where the Smoky Mountains are, where everyone goes for a vacation, and the middle part here... In Wilson County specifically, they have six sightings each. Now, this, is, this information that I'm getting is off the Bigfoot Field Research Organization website, or the BFRO. And I consider that to probably be the foremost uh, Bigfoot uh, or Sasquatch uh, research organization on the face of the planet, and I trust their data implicitly. Now, the latest sighting in Wilson County, where I live, uh, occurred in 2011 when two children reported seeing a Bigfoot on a logging road they were walking on. This was in the town of Lebanon, Tennessee, which is literally right down the road from me. It's the next town over. I am probably about 10 minutes from the city limits of Lebanon, Tennessee. So like I said, this latest sighting, Uh, happened in 2011 when two children reported seeing a Bigfoot on a logging road they were walking on. The two children went for a walk along the road while the father of one was bush hogging a nearby field. The girl was walking ahead of the boy and as she came around a turn in the road, she saw a creature approximately eight feet tall standing erect on two legs with one of his arms wrapped around the tree and it seemed like it was leaning out and away from the tree like it was trying to get a good look at her. She said it was approximately 20 yards away, close enough for her to give a detailed description, and this is what she describes it as. It was covered in hair, not fur, but hair that was black and glossy with hints of dark brown. It was completely covered in hair except for portions of its face. The skin of the face was lighter in color than the hair. The eyes were very large, dark, and wide set, and the nose was normal size for the face, whatever that means. The arms were muscular, as were the shoulders, so much so that it appeared that the creature was like shrugging its shoulders like one of those you know juice heads that have no neck in the gym. Um, and the chest was flat but yet muscular. There was an oddity about the lower jaw on the right side of the face. The jaw appeared to be dropped on that side like it had an expression of surprise or maybe it was uh, chewing something, something like that. The teeth were visible on that side of the face, but she didn't say what they looked like. She just said that she could see them. Now, this encounter lasted approximately, she estimates, around 20 seconds before she turned around and walked back to her friend. She told him what she had seen and they started to go back to the field where the boy's father was doing the bush hogging. They looked back and the creature had followed the girl and was standing in the road approximately 10 yards away next to a cedar tree. The boy gave a description of the creature that exactly matched the description that the girl gave. They quickly hurried away ran up to the boy's father, told him what they'd seen, and he went back to the spot where they had seen the creature, but it was gone, and they didn't see it again. Now, you have to stop and think, okay, these are two children. They were playing. Children's imaginations are very active, especially when they don't have a whole hell of a lot to do, and you're talking about two kids that are out in the middle of nowhere while their dad's bush hogging this field and they got nothing to do. Did they make this story up? You have to, number one, question that to start off with. Did they make the story up? The fact that their stories match as far as the description of the creature goes, it's good news, bad news. Good news in the fact that, well, you know, one saw it and so did the other and they both saw the same thing. Bad news in the fact that Their descriptions of the creature exactly the same, and they had plenty of time to get their story straight. So, did they actually see this creature, or did they make this whole thing up? Obviously, we're never going to know this. Um, I would have loved to have seen some sort of a television interview or would have loved to have been there so I could see the look on the kid's face, the look on their face, how they react, what their expressions were. All that plays into account as to believability. Um, but you just have to take this on face value. Did they see the creature? They said they did, so we have to believe them. Now, uh, this was, like I said right down the road from me in Lebanon, Tennessee, in 2010, 2011, somewhere around in there. So it's been a little bit. But um, once again, you have a Sasquatch sighting in an area that is a heavy, heavily populated area. The Middle Tennessee area of the state has the most population in it. Um, so it is really unusual, as far as I'm concerned, that you would see a Sasquatch in a uh, heavily populated area. But once again, Lebanon's not that big of a town. Wilson County is probably the fastest growing county in the state of Tennessee and has been for the last several years, at least five or six years. Uh, So there's a lot of population there, but you're talking about 2011 when when it was in the middle of of people moving there it was like right right in the middle of the popularity of people moving to this area of Tennessee um i kind of find it unusual that you would have a sasquatch there but then again maybe because there are so many people mo- moving here it was being forced out of his home and it was you know was trying to find a new place to live so you never know there's a, there's a lot that goes around that So anyway, this kind of, um, excuse me, this kind of sighting with a Bigfoot is actually not that uncommon around this area of middle Tennessee. I I have a good friend of mine. His name is Mr. Tony Pratt. Hello, Tony. If you happen to be listening, he, uh, did a short lived, um, he's done a couple of, of, uh, uh, podcast he did uh um, his latest was mystery us a podcast uh, he did a television show here in the nashville area of the same name mystery us and he did a radio show with me back uh when we i was at uh wrfn he was on the opposite fridays that i was and he did a, a radio show called paranormal nashville he is a uh, bigfoot researcher and investigator he has some very unusual um Um, beliefs about Bigfoot and about Bigfoot being psychic and everything. And that kind of um, is not conventional. However, with the recent death of famed paranormal investigator Lorraine Warren, I feel I must also include this little-known encounter that she reportedly claimed to have had with a Bigfoot because this is more of a psychic encounter. And there are lots of people out there who think that Bigfoot has some sort of psychic capabilities. So one spring, when Ed and Lorraine Warren were lecturing here in Tennessee, a reporter from the Elk Valley Times got in touch with them and told them about some, quote-unquote, hill people who kept insisting that something was threatening their children. I don't know where these hill people were, what region it was in. All I have is this story where it says hill people. So Ed and Lorraine headed to rural Tennessee in order to meet with a group of frightened hill people. These people were seeking their help with a very strange problem. Something dwelling in the local forest was after their children. Just the day before Ed and Lorraine got there, one woman claimed that a massive ape man had crept up to her two-year-old child and attempted to snatch him away by the arm. Now, as you can guess, this is not in Ed and Lorraine Warren's wheelhouse, and they didn't exactly believe these stories. But Lorraine Warren said, having never seen poverty like this, that her sense of guilt pushed her to entertain the witnesses' claims and help ease their fears, I guess because they're poor. Let me play along with them. I don't know. Now, uh, a little while later, she and Ed found herself following these quote-unquote hill people into the woods, climbing you know, up steep hills and down into the gorges in search of this ape man that was threatening their town and their children. Like I said, Lorraine was a, uh, not, Ed and Lorraine didn't do cryptid stuff. However, Lorraine, if you saw my, my uh, News of the Strange video from last week, Lorraine claimed to have ESP and be a psychic ghost hunter, and this wasn't exactly the kind of investigation that she was used to, but her psychic ghost hunting capabilities proved to come into play during this cryptid investigation. Hours later, after they had been hiking through probably what felt like you know just a waste of time to these two uh, before their their busy lecture tour, the group was taking a break somewhere near a tree and suddenly Lorraine's mind flashed with a mental image of a large creature that she described as a fusion of man and ape with long arms and shaggy hair. She went on to say that its face, was like that of a caveman, but his eyes were kind and shone with intelligence. And that's when she said she knew that it was Bigfoot. As she focused in on this creature, she realized that it was about 40 feet away from her, hiding in some thick brushes, and that it was in pain. She knew this because Bigfoot was telepathically speaking speaking to her with his mind. She felt that this creature was hurt, and she claimed that she could psychically see his hairy, splayed foot scabbed with still-seeping blood. And she went on to claim that during his travels that day that he had somehow injured his foot, and he was afraid that his injury would keep him from returning to his secret cave and that the creature was now projecting great fear. Bigfoot missed his family, and fearing death or capture by the humans seeking him out, felt trapped and isolated, and he was scared for his life. So, therefore, Lorraine began to send Sasquatch telepathic messages, explaining that he had terrified the settlement by attempting to kidnap one of their children. However, the Bigfoot denied this and responded that he had only meant to make friends with the child. This is what she said he told her. Youngsters don't have the prejudice of adults. So he felt he could perhaps explain himself to the child just as he was explaining himself to Lorraine. I know this is a wild story, right? So Lorraine was eager to help this Sasquatch and um she turned around to the the group that she was with she told them all to be quiet and she's tried to complete her her concentration for her communication with bigfoot and she said that at this point she felt some sort of maternal love for her. and she started creeping closer to the brush projecting images psychically of her bandaging Sasquatch's foot, and she spoke softly, trying to calm him down enough to approach him. She mentally whispered to him, I am coming to you. I will help you. I will be your friend. And then before she could reach him, someone in the background blew off an air horn and it broke her concentration, and it sent the Bigfoot fleeing into the forest. So apparently a member of the group had uh, taken out the horn and honked it as a joke, and it not only startled Lorraine, but it frightened the Sasquatch. So she says, she goes on to say that her mental images became frantic, and the searing pain of Bigfoot's injury was almost too much to take. He was running as fast as he could, limping up a hill, shaking with fear and exhaustion. Then the projections disappeared, and the Bigfoot was gone. So she said she spent the next 20 minutes following a trail of blood that she described as both redder and more viscous than human blood. She followed this trail to the edge of a cliff, but no sign of the creature could be found. And so... That case file of the Warrens ends with an apparent Sasquatch suicide. Um, that is really weird. Once again, I uh, try to keep my uh, my mind open. I am the open-minded skeptic that I describe myself as. And uh, boy, that story is a hard one to swallow. The only reason that I give any credence to that is because of my good friend Tony Pratt, who does think that Sasquatches can con- communicate with you telepathically. He claims that he has been contacted by Sasquatch telepathically on more than one occasion. Um, other people make the same claim, so you can't just discount Something like that. Even though I don't necessarily agree with Ed and Lorraine Warren's uh, approach to paranormal investigating, I, I do have to say you have to place some stock in this story just simply because of what others have experienced. Tough one to swallow, even for me. Um, but you have to, once again, take it at face value. And uh, the, the Lorraine Warren isn't the only person that has claimed that she's had psychic communication with a Sasquatch. I personally know of at least one person who makes the same claim. So you have to, I anyway, have to place some sort of stock in that story. So that pretty much does it for the cryptids of Tennessee. There's another little like subcategory that um, I wanted to just kind of hit on. It's the there's been a few reports of hairy humans with four legs. So the the stories kind of vary a little bit. Um, There's been plenty of reports here in Tennessee of a, of a four foot long entity with a human face that walks on four legs. Um, One woman uh, who was, uh, Exploring an, uh, a, a clay a cave in an undisclosed location reported seeing this creature climbing along, climbing along the cave wall. She said that it had brown eyes, it was covered with brown hair, and it uh, had short legs that ended in what she described as paws. And a report of a similar creature was made by a group of people walking on a wooded trail in Marion County, Tennessee. The hairy monster on four legs walked towards them on the trail and stopped to look at them, and it had a human face. And there's another report in southeast Tennessee from an elderly couple. I don't know where exactly in Tennessee, southeast Tennessee, they were living, but there was an elderly couple living somewhere in southeast Tennessee who reported a creature that was about six feet tall or taller when it was on its hind legs. It was covered in white fur. It had huge eyes, and its back was rounded. So is this the same creature the other reports, or that that it was from you know, brown hair, that it walked on four legs? The last report was that it had white hair and maybe stood on, on could stand on hind legs and was around six feet tall. I don't know. Um, I haven't, uh, the, the reports are vague. The locations are pretty much even more vague, and you don't know where the hell they were, and there's nothing else to go on. So is are these hairy humans, are they, once again, some sort of uh, relative of Sasquatch? Are they uh, something totally, completely different on their own? I don't know. Um, if you've seen a hairy human on four legs, if you live in Tennessee and you've seen a hairy human on four legs, please get in contact with me and let me know. Now, I've had a couple of instances where I have seen cryptids here in Tennessee. Um, I'm, I don't have a whole hell of a lot of time, so I'm not going to really get into it other than to say that uh, once I saw a mysterious black dog that was running at me on the road that uh, disappeared, and the other creature that I saw was a brown-like creature that at first I thought was a deer, uh, but I, I I don't know what it was. I don't think it was a deer. It was a brown creature that was uh, running. Um, I was I was driving uh, my truck and past a an open field that had uh, a wood line at the back. And as I was driving my truck there, there was no one else around. It was just me driving. And I was looking in this field, and I saw this creature running from the field, going into the woods. And it jumped over this fence that separated the tree line and the in the field, with just like like it wasn't even there. I mean, just like a, an athlete running track, jumping the hurdles, and and it disappeared. I only glanced at for about that long, and I don't know what it was. At first, I thought it was a deer, but it, as I it, thought about it, it was too big and upright to be a deer. So I don't know what the hell it was. However, if you live in the state of Tennessee and you've had an encounter with any of these above mentioned cryptids, the Tennessee wild man, the Flintville monster, the white screamer, the Tennessee terror, Bigfoot, or one of these other, um, hairy humans on four legs, or something that I haven't mentioned, something that I don't know about. If you've had an encounter with any or all of the above, please get in contact with me. I would love to hear your story. I'd love to have you on Parareality Radio. Well, everybody, I certainly hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by uh, sending me an email, sandman at parareality.com. Uh, like I said earlier, if you have uh, encountered any of the cryptid creatures that I've talked about tonight, or if you have had an encounter with one that maybe I didn't talk about this evening, I would love to hear your story. And once again, my email is sandman at parareality.com, or you can simply Visit the show's website at www.parareality.com and click on the About Me page, and there is a contact form there where you can just fill that out. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you can. Um, by the way, parareality.com is where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to the current and some past episodes there, if you cl- and if you click on the Extras tab, you can join the official Parareality Radio forum, shop in the Parareality Radio store, and even watch some show videos. I do post a, I do have a new segment called News of the Strange that is kind of uh, a re, there's my scary clock again. Uh, News of the Strange is kind of a uh, rebirth of a segment that I used to have on the show whenever I first started doing it all the way back in the early 2000s. And uh, now it is in a video format that I do on the second and fourth Fridays of every month. And I post that on YouTube and on Parareality.com as well. News of the Strange is just simply where I grab a headline uh, from a paranormal news story that's been going around. And uh, I give a little report on it and give my two cents. Um, Just one more thing that I'm trying to do to add content to the website and uh, hopefully gain some new listeners to the show. Also don't forget to look up reality Radio on Facebook and follow me on Twitter, which is at Parareal Radio. I post a lot of interesting stuff on Facebook and Twitter like upcoming shows, special guests and interesting articles. So make sure you follow me on both of those areas and to stay updated on what's happening with Parareality Radio. On Facebook, just look up, just do a search for Parareality Radio on Facebook. Once again, my Twitter handle is at Parareal Radio. By the way, you can now listen to Parareality Radio on a variety of different websites and streaming platforms. The show can, of course, be heard on Spreaker, but you can also hear it on Facebook and YouTube, if you want to stream the show, you can do it from Parareality.com or you can stream it on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Uh, Spotify and iTunes, knock on something, will hopefully be coming soon. And if you have an Alexa device, you can enable any of the speaker, Google Podcast or Stitcher skills. Open them up and simply say, "Alexa, play Reality Radio." The show will return on Friday, May seventeenth, twenty nineteen, at eight o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope that this radio program opens your minds up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change. You must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, a great weekend, and I will see everybody again in two weeks. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.